One of my favorite stories when people ask me about weddings I performed, I remember I did a wedding for a couple a few years ago where uh, the groom had not seen the bride before she'd come in, uh, seen the bride on their wedding day at all. And, and the first time he saw her was when she came into the chapel where the wedding was being performed. And I'll never forget, she, she walked in and he was just kind of overcome by the moment, I could tell. And we got into the ceremony and we got to, the, and he was just completely dazed. And he stayed that way for a number of minutes because we got to the place where they needed to repeat some vows to each other. And I turned to him and I said, I need you to repeat after me. And I told him the line to say, and he was still just standing there staring at her. And he didn't respond. And so I said, no, you need to repeat after me out loud. I mean, right now. And it kind of shook him up and, he, and, and everybody kind of laughed at the things. And after the ceremony was over, I was going, what was going on? He goes, well, I hadn't seen her. She, I'd never seen her look like that before. She looked like amazing. I, she was so beautiful. And then you're talking about this commitment, this covenant we're making. This will be for the rest of our lives until the day we die. And I'm going to give her my whole heart and everything. And he goes, I was just overwhelmed. I mean, this is like, he said, the whole thought of it, I'm committing to this beautiful woman to love her and cherish her for the rest of my life until the day I die. And I don't know if I can do that. And I said, well, yeah, but that's why we always go in the middle of this. With God's help, we will. Today, I want to talk with you about God's desire to have a covenant relationship with us. And how, if you really think about having a covenant relationship with God, how it could be just simply overwhelming, where you could go, I don't know if I can do that. And the Bible makes it clear there's bad news. You can't. But it also makes it clear there's good news that that's why Jesus came, to make it possible for us. So I have a wonderful message of good news today, and that is that we serve a God who wants a covenant with us, a relationship with us, an agreement where he'll be our God and we will be his people. And he makes it possible. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump right in. Father, we are in the middle of a series entitled, You're in the Story. We're in this story. Lord, the whole Bible is a Bible about how you want and desire a relationship with us more than we want one with you. You're the one who wants to make a covenant with us, and you even make it possible through Jesus. So, Lord, today I pray that you'll speak, move me out of the way, and remind us that we're in the story of you making a covenant with your people. Lord, that's such good news. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. First of all, God's desire has always been to create a people of his own who would love him and serve him. I mean, this is God's desire. It was his desire in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve have an open and transparent relationship with him. The Bible says they would walk and God would walk and talk with them in the cool of the day in the garden, share his thoughts and his heart with them. And he made a covenant with them. The, the terms were this. I'll be your God. You be my people. I'll provide for you. I want you to name all the animals. Take care of everything I give you here. There's only one thing I ask. Do not eat off of that tree in the middle of the garden. You can eat the fruit off of all the other trees. I don't care. Just not that one. And that was the one, when they were tempted by the devil, that's the one they ate of. And sin caused them to be cast out of the Garden of Eden and away from God's presence, that type of relationship was broken. The whole rest of the Old Testament tells us how 
time and again, people would turn away from God. And his heart has always been this. Jeremiah 7 reminds us, the prophet Jeremiah says, here's what we need to remember. This is God's heart. Obey my voice and I'll be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way I command you that it may be well with you. The Bible tells us that God is the creator, God of the universe. He created us so he could share his love and his blessings with us. That's why he created us. And he wants to lavish his love on us. He just wants us to love him and trust him and obey him. And that is the one thing that we struggle with. In fact, that's what's called sin. When we rebel against God and go, no, I don't think so. You tell me uh, you don't want me to do that, I'm going to do it anyway because I know better. And sin is what separates us from God. So today, I want to review how God made a covenant with his people at Mount Sinai. This is jumping into the second book of the Bible in Exodus, chapter 19. Moses and the children of Israel have been rescued from slavery in Egypt. God has performed a whole series of miraculous, he sent a series of miraculous plagues on the Egyptians. So they will let the Israelite people go, even though they've been in slavery there. He sent locusts, and he sent frogs, and he turned the Nile River to blood. He sent hail. He sent darkness. Oh, just plague after plague. And the last was the worst, where the firstborn in every family would die in Egypt. And the Israelites were protected because they'd obeyed what the Lord told them to do. and marked their, the doorposts of their homes with blood of a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. And the angel of death passed over them, and after somebody died in every house in Egypt, they chased the Israelites out, and they took off their jewelry and their best clothes. They gave them money. They gave them everything, loaded them up with all the wealth of Egypt, and said, get out of here before we all die. Well, two months later, they are standing at the base of Mount Sinai, and God says, had told Moses to bring the people there, and he said, I want to meet with them, and put out the terms of the covenant. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And it'll all go well with you, but I want you to understand the terms of the agreement that you're entering into. Because I'm a holy God, and you're sinful people. And so here's what happened. This is from Exodus 19. Now, if you'll obey me and keep my covenant, then you'll be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. I mean, this is what God had said, that even though people in the world had turned away from him, he said, I'm going to select you, the descendants of Abraham, and God had made a covenant with him more than 400 years before. I'm going to select you to be my own special people. And here are the terms of the covenant. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I'm the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, and I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. There are no other gods. The Egyptians had worshipped a whole pantheon of gods, and they'd been in slavery to these people for years, for hundreds of years. I mean, they worshipped a god of the Nile River, which is why God had turned it to blood. They worshipped a god with a frog's head, and that's why God had allowed the whole land to be covered with frogs. And he had pointed out to them 
I am creating you to be my, I've created you to be my people. You're my own special possession. I'm your God. You're my people. Don't bow down to little statues. Don't bow down to any other God that anybody tells you about. I'm the only God there is. I made you. And I won't share your affection with anyone else. And go back to the covenant relationship between a man and a woman. I made a relationship, I made a covenant with my wife, Debbie, 34 and a half years ago, and it was exclusive to me. I do not want her having affection for any other man. And she doesn't want to have me have an affection for any other woman. And we have made that both very clear to each other. And that's a good thing. Well, you understand this. This is what God's doing with the whole nation. I'm your God. You're my people. No fooling around on any of this. And he says, he goes on to say, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember to observe the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet. I mean, Jesus summarized all these commandments. He said these commandments basically are loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbors yourself. Because if you loved your neighbors yourself, you wouldn't steal. You wouldn't take his wife. You wouldn't covet. You wouldn't lie. You wouldn't cheat. You certainly wouldn't murder. You'd love God and you'd love others. And this is what God wants. You're my people. And these are the terms of the covenant. In fact, it was terribly important that they understood this. And so God appeared on top of Mount Sinai as a flaming cloud, a burning cloud on top of the mountain. Uh, Moses wrote it down. He described it like smoke billowing from a furnace and the whole mountain shook with God's presence. And when the Ten Commandments were uttered the first time, the people heard a loud horn like the blare of a ram's horn that had called them. And after that, God spoke out loud from the top of the mountain. And God had told Moses, I'm going to do this. And then the people will know that I'm God and that you're my representative. They'll believe you. Oh, they believed him. In fact, they told Moses, you go up and stand in front of God and and handle all this, and whatever instructions he's got, we want you to go represent us. This terrifies us. And that's why in the chapters that follow, Moses is going up there by himself. God says, well, come up here by yourself. But he had told them, when you give you these terms, he said, look, today I'm giving you a choice between blessing and a curse. You'll be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, but you'll be cursed if you reject the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from him and worship gods you have not known before. That's from Deuteronomy 11, where Moses is reminding them when God gave us these commands, he also sent it with a curse and a blessing. When a king made a contract or a covenant with his people in those times, every covenant always had both curses and blessings. I'll be your king, you'll be my people, but here are the terms. And if you obey what I tell you to do, then you'll be blessed. If you disobey, then these are the consequences on the negative side. And Moses had said this to all the people. Now, a couple important things are important to notice here, that God gave his people a hard copy of the terms of the covenant so they'd never forget it. It wasn't just they heard it once, he actually, God called Moses to come up on the mountain, to the top of Mount Sinai, and he said, I'm going to write these in stone for you. 
I'll make you permanent copies that you keep with you, and I want you to make a special place where you're going to keep it. Have the people make an ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches high. Overlay it inside and outside with pure gold and place inside the ark the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. And then put the atonement cover on top of the ark, and I will meet you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the golden cherubim, the angels that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. The lid had golden angels facing each other with their wings almost touching. And God had told Moses, when you look at that sacred chest with the angels on top of it, you won't see me, but you talk to that space right over the top because I'll be directly over the terms of the covenant that are stored in the box. Have you ever wondered what the Ten Commandments were? They were stone tablets. We know they must, the dimensions must have been similar to that. So because they fit inside the chest. But God said, I want you to take those, the terms of the agreement, put it inside a chest, and put that chest inside the most holy place, inside the portable temple, the tabernacle, that I'm going to give you instructions to build, and I want you to put the tabernacle in the center of the camp. So in the center of all my people, that's where I'm going to be, in the, inside the tabernacle. And in the center of the tabernacle, that's where I want you to keep the covenant. And when you come to talk to me, I want you to understand, I want to be at the middle of the middle of everybody's lives. Because I'm your God, and you're my people. I'm not on the outskirts, not on the fringes. I'm in the middle of the middle. I'm in the middle of the cinnamon roll, if that helps you. That's where I am. And here's a hard copy to remember, a, a very hard copy. Okay, it was written in stone. Apparently, it was written on both sides. And they placed the tablets inside the chest. Now, the people gladly accepted God's conditions. They said, oh, yeah. Moses went down to the people. He repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. And all the people answered with one voice, we'll do everything the Lord has commanded. And they'd send him up there. You go talk to him. And so God said these things, he goes, and he sent Moses back down. Make sure they understand what they're agreeing to. Oh, yeah, we're going to do it. You bet, we're going to do it. And that brings us to point C. But despite their promises, God's people couldn't keep their part of the agreement even for six weeks. Because when Moses came back down and said, now this is the agreement. Here are the stipulations. Here's how this is going to work. They said, yeah, we want God. We've seen his miracles and his might, but we'll trust him. And then God said, all right, and this is when he was preparing those tablets and giving Moses all the instructions for how to make the tabernacle, how to set up a government, how to set up a priesthood, how to do sacrifices and ceremonies and all the things you can read in the last half of Exodus and the entire book of Leviticus. And Moses says them pretty much all again in Deuteronomy. It's all the parts of the Bible where you go, wow, this seems really, really hard. Yeah. And we see that they couldn't even keep their part for six weeks because here's what happened while Moses was up on the mountain getting the copy of the Ten Commandments in stone. When the people saw how long it was that it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, Moses' brother. Like, come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't even know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron told them to give him their gold jewelry, the stuff that had been given to them by the Egyptians that God had arranged for, to enrich them and bless them. 
They took that very gold, they took it and melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. And then the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you have brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they've turned away from the way I commanded them to live. Could we read that last sentence? It's up here on the screen here. Could we read this out loud together? How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. Not even six weeks. Remember, no other gods. I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I need you to remember that. That's commandment number one. And no idols. That's commandment number two. Well, they blew through those at 60 miles an hour. I mean, that was it. It wasn't even six weeks. And before we judge them, we'd have probably done the same. I mean, all you have to think back, it's February 21 when I'm delivering this. Some of you made New Year's resolutions a little over six weeks ago. How's that going? Yeah, I'll move on. Anyway, but it's my point. And when the Lord told them to do something, it's our sin nature that says, I'm not going to do that. Just like if you see a sign that says, wet paint, do not touch. I'm touching it. <laughs> Got to see if it's dry. That's the way we are. And when it comes to the commands of God, understand this. When he tells us, Jesus said, look, when God commanded you not commit adult, to not commit adultery, well, if you even look at someone lustfully, that's the same sort of attitude in your heart. You're still committing the sin in your heart. And if he, he commanded you not to murder, but just because you didn't plunge a knife into somebody's back you hate someone enough to kill them, well, then that's still sinful in your heart. It still affects you the same way. And when you start thinking like that, you start going, oh, my goodness. And when you start thinking about the fact that I have to keep all of these commandments all the time and never fail at them even once in order to have a right relationship with God, I'm never going to make this. And then when you start reading Leviticus, and you find out, find out about all the ceremonies and all the sacrifices that had to be made whenever you did sin, because sin carries with it the penalty of death, how animals had to die in place of the people's sin to show people how serious their sin was. Well, they were offering animals over and over and over again. And when you read the writings of the Old Testament, people are always going, can there ever be a time when there can be a sacrifice that pays for our sins once and for all? Because they understand under the Old Covenant, it shows them they're sinful, but it doesn't cure them of the sin nature. And so they, keep, they pay for their sin, but they keep doing it. That's why everything has to do with this Old covenant, another word for covenant is testament, is in the Old Testament. And when Jesus came, Jesus came to broker or to mediate a better covenant. And that's why when Jesus came, all the writings about Jesus forward are about the new covenant, the new testament, the new deal between God and people that was better. Here's what the writer of Hebrews said. Jesus is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant, the one we've been talking about, had been faultless, 
There would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, and the writer of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah here. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And this covenant won't be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they didn't remain faithful to my covenant. I mean, not even for six weeks. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. Says the Lord, but this is the new covenant that I'll make with the people of Israel. On that day, says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. Everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I'll forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. And so when Jesus came, he said, I'm bringing in the new covenant that the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah wrote about. A whole new deal. Better promises. Here's what he means by that. First of all, the new covenant that Jesus brings deals with sin permanently. Where the Lord had said, I'm going to forgive their wickedness, never remember their sins again. Well, in Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say the old system under the old law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of all the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were had to be repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, the sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And that's why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you didn't want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you've given me a body to offer. You weren't pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. And then I said, look, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written, me about, written about me in the scriptures. And that's why Jesus came. He said, I'm going to be the sacrifice. When he was baptized, John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Bible presents Jesus as the permanent offering for sins once for all time. Under the old agreement, the old covenant, ugh, animals had to be offered over and over. And over. They couldn't permanently pay for our sins because an animal and a person, it's not a one-to-one -one substitute. But when Jesus died, he lived a perfectly sinless life. And so he died in place of the whole human race. Secondly, the new covenant is unconditional because it's a covenant of grace. I mean, the great news about the new covenant, Jesus said, come to me. I'm going to pay the penalty for all your sins so you can go free. But how do I earn that? You can't. You can't. It's a free gift. Paul wrote about this. He said this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. The great news is this. Under the new terms of how to have a right relationship with God, we can come to God, instead of offering bulls and goats, we offer him our hearts and our minds, 
He says, you offer your life to me. I'll pay the penalty for all your sins forever. But God, I, I'm such a wretch. I've messed up so many times. There's no way I can earn your forgiveness. I know. I love you, and I'm going to accept you by my grace and my kindness. And if that's good news to you today, would you say amen? amen. But there's even more. The new covenant is also internal, not external. When the covenant was written on the stone tablets and placed in the sacred chest in the holy place inside the tabernacle in the center of the camp, well, it was there that the people had to go, and that's where they had to offer their sacrifices, and they had to have a priest who would intercede for them. Under the new covenant, the terms of the covenant are written on my mind and on my heart. When I come to Christ, the Holy Spirit is placed inside of me. And he changes me from the inside out. Paul said the Holy Spirit gives you the desire, your heart, and the power to do what pleases him. In fact, in Romans 8, he goes on to say, So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. In 2 Corinthians 3, he said, Clearly, you're a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It's carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. In order to be right with God, in order to talk to God, in order to be in God's presence, people had to make a pilgrimage to the temple, or they had to go to the tabernacle, and the sacrifices had to be made there. Under the new agreement, the commandments are written on my heart and my mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I can meet with God anywhere. I don't have to go where the ark is because now I am an ark. The commandments are written in me. I can meet with him anytime, anywhere. And not only that, because these commandments are written on my heart and on my mind, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. He will guide you into all truth. He will affirm the things you're doing well. And you, when you grieve him, you'll know that so you can turn away and repent and say, I don't want to do this anymore. And then surrender that to God. And then more of my life becomes freed up for, so I can serve him. So let me repeat. Jesus paid for our sins once for all time. We don't have to worry about being good enough because he saved us by his grace anyway. Thirdly, he says, I know you don't have the desire or the power within you to do this all the time, so I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he'll transform you from the inside out. He'll change your very desires, and he'll give you the power to obey me. He'll give you the power to trust me and to be the person you always wanted to be but could never be on your own. This is all part of the new covenant. And there's even more. This new covenant is available now to everyone who surrenders his or her life to Jesus. Not just to the biological descendants of Abraham who were gathered at Mount Sinai. It's available to all of us. John 1.12, John, one of Jesus' disciples, said that all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he has given them the right to become God's children. To receive him means to say, I want this for myself. This work has been done. The sacrifice has been made. But for me to experience God's grace, to be filled with his spirit, to have a right relationship with him, I have to receive that gift. Last week I gave blood 
And after I gave blood, they told me, thanks for giving blood. We've got a gift for you. We've got a little gift card. Just go to this website and click on this, and you can get a gift card for $10. And um, so I went there, and I claimed that thing. I have it now. But do you know what happens if I don't click on that link and don't go get it? It's there waiting for me, but it does me no good. To receive this gift is the same way. I come myself and I acknowledge, Lord, I am a sinner. I need your grace. Lord, I will never be good enough in my own strength. You have to give me the power. Lord, I want, those, I want your Holy Spirit in me. I want you to change my desires. I want you to make me into a person who looks just like Jesus. And that's a decision each one of us has to make on our own. It's a decision of surrender. And that's how we enter into a relationship. And that's why we're still in the story, because that opportunity for people to come to Christ and enter into a covenant with him where he will be our God and we will be his people, that's available for all who come to him. Jesus said that that's why God sent his son into the world so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, one more thing. When a covenant, and Nick, if you come on up here while I'm talking about this, when a covenant was ratified, an animal was sacrificed. And the way they did it, you could go to Genesis 15 and find out how when God made a covenant with Abraham, he told Abraham to take an animal and cut it right down the middle. They would cut an animal in half and lay the two halves side by side. And then when parties made an agreement, they would walk between the two halves of the animal and they would say, may this and worse happen to me and my family if I ever go back on my commitment. That's a serious commitment. Well, it's called cutting a covenant because you would cut the animal in half. We still use the phrase today, like when you cut a deal, part of it's still in there. That's what it means to cut a deal. That's where it came from anyway. Not that you have to cut an animal in half. But that's where it came from. But if I'm going to cut a covenant with God, Jesus said, not only will I pay the penalty for your sins, but he told his disciples the night before he was crucified, I want you to understand this is happening right now. So at a Passover meal, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. Like the animal didn't cut in half. This is my body broken for you. I'm going to take all the penalty for your sins so you can go free. And after the meal was over, Jesus took a cup of wine and he passed it among his disciples and he said, this is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. It's poured out as a sacrifice for you. It's paid in full. And the next day, when they saw him hanging on the cross, the next day, when they saw his blood flowing from the wounds in his side and in his wrists and from the crown of thorns it all began to dawn on them when you came in hopefully you got a small little chalice because Jesus told us to remember the covenant to remember the sacrifice to remember how much he wants a relationship with us. And he said, as often as you do this, I want you to eat a meal. He told the disciples, as often as you do this, remember me. 
And so we're going to do that right now. And so if you'd open the side where there's a small piece of bread first and take that out and hold it for a second. We're reminding ourselves that Jesus made it possible for us to have a right relationship with God because he paid for all our sins once for all time. He was the sacrifice in his place. All the wrath of God was poured out on him so we could go free. And if you are grateful for that, then would you eat of the bread and give him thanks? And now would you tear back the little lid on the side that contains the grape juice? At the Last Supper, Jesus passed around that cup and said, this is my blood. It's the cup of blood that would be out of new covenant. That when a covenant's made to cut the covenant, this is a new covenant I'm making. Our sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus. The debt's been paid. His life has been exchanged for our sin and the death we deserve. And if you're grateful for that, would you drink now and give him thanks? Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for Christ Jesus who came to broker a new and better covenant. We thank you, Lord, that the sacrifices for sin have been paid for, have been made. The permanent sacrifice has been made. Our sins have been paid for in full. We thank you, Lord, that you send the Holy Spirit into our lives to change the way we think, to empower us to do what's right, to give us the desire to obey you when we never could do it on our own. Oh, we thank you, Lord, that now we, you are with us always, wherever we go. We don't have to make pilgrimages to any certain place. We just come to you. And Lord, that you desire a right relationship with us, an honest and open relationship with us. And so God, we surrender our hearts and our minds to you today and say, God, come on into every part of our lives. We hold nothing back. Anything that needs to go, throw it out, show us. With your strength, we can do this. Oh, gracious God, we thank you now that we have this good news we can share with the whole world because now anyone can come. Anyone can come and experience your grace. And God, we're so grateful for it. Fill our lives to the point of overflowing where we can't help but talk about how great this news is. We serve a covenant-making God who's crazy for us and has made a way possible for us to actually relate with him and love him and serve him forever. Oh God, thank you for Jesus. It's in the wonderful name of Christ we pray. Amen.